But this morning, take your Bible, your devices, whatever you have, and, and I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture. First one's in Matthew. Matthew, for you that are new to the Scriptures, and I'm, I always love it that we have people in here that are just searching and they're wanting to know about the Bible. But in Matthew, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, and then you can stick a finger in there and you can go to the Philippians. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in, a, in an area called Philippi. And so it's among, uh, I always learned it, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians was GEPC, General Electric Power Company. It's how I learned the order of those. And it's, so it's in the power part, Philippians, and it's going to be in Philippians chapter 2 in just a moment. So these are two passages that we are going to, uh, going to read. Uh, if, you're, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're talking about foundations. We're talking about just what do we really believe. I think we live in a day where there's many people who call themselves Christians that are getting beat up by the storms of life because they don't know what they, they built their life upon. And so we're coming back. We talked about who is God, that there is one God. He has expressed himself in three expressions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked about who is man, who is this creation called man that we are set apart from the animal kingdom. God did a special work with creating a man. He created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. But we know that Adam and Eve fell and that all of us ever since have been had a fallen nature because of that. And we needed a Savior desperately. And so we talked about who is man last week. And today we're going to talk about who is Jesus. And uh, this is going to be uh, uh, what you think should be elementary, but I'm, I'm hoping it will, it will spur up something inside of you. Um, so we're in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, let me share with you one of my favorite stories when we come to talk about who is Jesus, because in our Christian faith, you would think, okay, everything is Jesus, right? I mean, that's the answer. Everything is Jesus. I'm always reminded of a pastor who was doing a children's sermon, you know, when you call the children up to the steps, and he was doing a children's sermon with them. And on this particular Sunday, though, he was wanting to use squirrels as, as the illustration here with the, with the children, and it is an object lesson. So he was going to describe some things and see if he could, could get them to raise their hand. And he said, as soon as you know the answer, raise your hand. So he started into it. He says, this thing lives in trees. There was a pause. No hands went up. He says, okay, eats nuts. Pause. No, no hands went up. It's gray. Pause. No hands go up. Has a bushy tail. Pause. No hands. Now the kids are looking at each other, but still no one has the guts to raise their hands. And He jumps from branch to branch. Still pause. Chatters and flips his tail. Still pause. Finally, one little boy tentatively raises his hand. He says, okay, well, what's the answer? He said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> That's the way we are in church. Every answer is Jesus, but, but we don't really know. We say Jesus is the answer, but what, are we, what is the question at that point? So Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be beginning in verse 13. And what's about to happen is, is Jesus' life at the age of 30, his public ministry started here he is into the ministry. It's about to take an incredible turn. His disciples do not know what's coming. Jesus knows that eventually it's going to end with a cross and his death, but his disciples do not. And this is where we are 
And they're in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the north of Israel, very pagan place. It's a place where the pagan god Pan would be worshipped. They also had a temple there to uh, Augustus Caesar, a lot of pagan worship. And this is where Jesus has taken his followers. He didn't take them to Jerusalem to ask this question. He took them to the most pagan um, worldly culture place that you could be, and he, he's going to ask them the question that every man must answer. But here we go in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the rumor out there? Who are people saying that I am? And they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus speaks again in verse 15. But what about you? I mean, you guys are the closest to me. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, that's, that doesn't resonate in our English language quite so much, but Messiah is referring to the anointed one of God, the King of all kings, um, the promised one, the one that in the Old Testament there's 300 plus prophecies to the coming of the messiah and what peter is saying all of a sudden is listen you are the son of god you are the king of all kings and that is who you are you're the anointed one the 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 exact essence of the living god and jesus replied blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I want to, I want to emphasize one thing. Where, where he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, he is not saying on Simon Peter. He is saying on that profession of faith that you just made, that I am the Son of God, that I am the Anointed One, it is that that I'm going to build my church. Okay, The church is built on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's what, that's what he is saying. Now I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Because the ultimate question to be asked is, who is Jesus? Okay, uh, Seven billion people on, on the planet... Who is Jesus? What is the question to you? Who is Jesus? And, and so they answered that question that he is the exact essence of God. He's the revelation of God to man. He is the anointed one. That's what Peter said. And it's on this that I'm going to build my church. But let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, because this is where it's going to uh, really head home on, on us being able to see what, who is Jesus. What, what is he like, really? And we're going to begin in verse 5. And let me say this before I read it, is that the, this particular passage that many scholars and, and commentarians would say, this was probably a, a New Testament church song that they had done. And they would, remember their songs would help them to learn their, their theology and their creeds. Okay, So this is a song that they would sing in the church that would help them to understand who Jesus is. So here it is. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus or have the same attitude, okay? Let this be your heart attitude here. And here's what it is. Verse 6. Who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And let me just kind of be very blunt and honest with you. There is a day coming where Jesus, his, his reign will be very evident, his return will be evident, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, some who have called him Lord and some who will not call him Lord till that day because it will be too late for them but they will acknowledge him, okay? i just got to be blunt and honest with you about that. And somebody's going to say, well, Mark, that's kind of mystical, hocus-pocus. I believe it's true. I believe Christ will return. And some people will say, well, Mark, do you, when do you think it's going to be? Do you think everything's aligned? I, 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 let, me, let me put it this way. I believe Christ could return at any time. I believe the New Testament church lived that he could return at any time. And I think we're called to do the same. And so I believe Christ will return. I'm not looking for some hocus-pocus signs. I just believe the sky will crack and he will return. So I just say that bluntly because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But let's, let me just talk to you about Jesus for a few minutes using this passage of Scripture in the Matthew passage. First of all is this about Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully God. It, Paul is even talking about it here in, this, in him. He said he, he did not consider his equality with God something to be maintained, but he emptied himself. But he was fully God. He, was, he had full authority. When he was on this earth, he had full authority. You remember he spoke to the storm and it was still. He spoke to the demons and they went. He spoke to bodies and they were made whole. He was fully God. He had all of the authority of God in him. So don't be thinking, oh, he was just some mealy mouse, something in the flesh. And he was in the flesh, but he was fully God. And, and, and he wanted his followers to know this. Um, scriptures also claim it that he was God. Um, Jesus um, demonstrated the power. He accepted worship. He even commented himself, I am, when he was asked about the truth, I am. We've got to come to grips with this, folks. And it wasn't like he was 50% God, 50% man. If that was the case, we would only have 50% salvation. I don't want 50% salvation. I want 100% salvation. And he was not 50% God. He was 100% God. And he was God in the flesh. And the Bible says in, in Colossians that he was the exact representation of God to man. In other words, he was a photograph of God for us to understand. Can we completely understand it? I think we're always going to be limited because of our fallenness. One day we will see face to face. Paul says we see now in a mirror dimly. One day we will see face to face. But when Jesus Christ was on this planet, in this earth suit, he was fully God. And when we could look at him, it was something that we could understand the character of God was like. And we can see that he was full of love. He was, he was full of mercy. He was full of grace. This is who he was. You know, one, one, one of the times just came to my mind. You remember when the lady was caught in the act of adultery and they came and threw her at the feet of Jesus? And, and this, to me, just shows God. 
I mean, she, they threw him. I, I don't even know if she had time to get her clothes on. Just guilt and shame and everything threw before these gawking men. And they throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, you know, that here, here she is. She, the law says she is to be stoned. Jesus, man, God in flesh, he kneels down so that he is not gawking and staring at this woman. And he, he begins to doodle in the sand. What he's doing, I think he's just doodling. But, he, but he's doing something in the sand. And here they are ready to kill this woman. And all of a sudden he says, okay, you that's without sin, you throw the first stone. And they left because they knew they were in the presence of God because grace reigned. Isn't that good? I mean, that is Jesus. He was fully God. But here's the next thing. He was fully man. Not only was he fully God, he was fully man. And, and you know, this is good for me because I... I don't know. I am, I'm, first of all, I get too much ego, but, but I, I, I want to know that he knows everything that I feel. He knows temptation. And we know according to Scripture, he knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew fatigue. Isn't that good to know, preschool mom? He knew fatigue. He knew what it was like to just not be able to catch a break because people wanted him constantly. And he was tired. He knew anger. When he went into the, the temple court, he cleared it out because he knew he was angry. He knew grief. He wept. He wept by a friend's tomb in Lazarus. And, and, and we, I mean, he, knew, he was about to speak him back to life, but still he, he wept. He knew grief. He knew compassion. He knew, um, he knew anguish. He had the emotions, his physical body, new pain. I mean, this is good for me to know that he was not only fully God, but he was fully man, and he could identify with everything that I've ever gone through. And I know some people will say, yeah, Mark, but does he really understand completely physical challenges and handicaps and these kind of things? Think about it. You're the God of all creation, and you've decided to limit yourself to one of these earth suits. That is challenge. But, you know, throughout history, there have been false teachings that have come along. And, and I just share these with you just so that you'll know that people have battled with these throughout history. One is that they will, they will believe he's man but deny his deity. And, and that's going to be limiting. There's others that will deny his humanity and say that he was just divine. Uh, there will be others that say he was inferior to the Father. Yes, he was a part of God, but he was inferior to, to God. There will be others that say his body, his body was human, but his soul was divine. He wasn't fully, fully man in that area. There have been false teachings that come along. But for us to embrace salvation fully, we knew that God had to take uh, all of the effort upon himself to take on full humanity for my salvation. So we believe, according to God's word, that he was fully man and he was fully God. But here's another thing. Not only was he just man... But he was perfect man. No sin. You and I have just known sin. I mean, some of you are just better sinners than other sinners. But we're just sinners. We, we know sin. And, and Jesus, though, knew no sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. You, you may remember, for you that are new to this, I, I just shared as a way of remembrance. But for the Jewish system, there was a sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system means that you would take a pure spotless lamb and that pure spotless white lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of the people and and 
eventually that lamb would be taken and the blood would be taken by a high priest. And this high priest, I'm going to go ahead and share this with you now, but the high priest had sins of his own he had to deal with. Okay? He had his own sins he had to deal with. And so he would deal with his own sin, and then what he would do is he would take that spotless blood from the spotless lamb, he would take it into the very holy place, and that's where he would place it upon what was called a mercy seat. And the people, one time a year he would do that, and then they would have forgiveness. I want you to know that Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. No sin in him at all. He was the perfect high priest. And so what he was able to do is by the shedding of his blood, he was able for one time only, never to have to do it again, took that very blood into the very presence of the Father himself. And let me tell you something. I know this is mystery, but this is what I've got to believe because of my sinfulness and the perfection of God is he took that sin right into the very throne room and through one time and for all, the perfect high priest was able to, uh, uh, was able to take his perfection for my imperfection. And I was able to have forgiveness. Was it worth it? Oh, gosh. It was worth it for me. I don't. I, I mean, but it, but it, it was an incredible redemptive act. It was something I could never do. Is that the perfect God did through Jesus Christ for me? And I want that to make sense for you because um, many times we think we think, oh, it's my good deeds. And I, you know, we just had intro. And in intro, I always talk about what we believe. And 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 today, this is what reigns. You ready? Moral deism. Moral deism says if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God's got to take me. That is false teaching. Your good deeds will send you to hell. What we needed is we needed a Savior because even our good deeds are as filthy rags. What we needed is a perfect Savior, and that's who Jesus is. Perfection. The perfect high priest. The one who was born to die to give his life for me. So he was fully God. He was fully man. He was perfect man. But, but one fourth thing I want to deal with about Jesus is, folks, it is a fact that he rose from the dead. And you may be thinking, Mark, is it that big a deal? It's a huge deal. It's huge in that he defeated death. And let me tell you why. A couple of reasons. Number one is it means that every truth he ever taught, he confirmed when he rose from the dead. He confirmed it. The second thing is, is that he guarantees our resurrection someday. You see, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then you and I, this is all there is. And so you can just look at each other and say, man, I don't know. I don't know about it. But this, this would be all that there is. And so we know that if Christ rose from the dead, we know that we are eternal beings as well. And for those that are followers of Christ, the only hell we'll ever know is right here because one day we're going to be in his presence. We will be transformed into his presence. And that is guaranteed if Christ rose from the dead. Here's another thing. If Christ rose from the dead, it means that these bodies are not inherently evil. So often we just think that the body is evil, and that's, that's what people had a hard time believing. Well, the body must be evil. Listen, there's a flesh nature that is evil, but these bodies in themselves are not evil. Now, let me, let me just be honest with you. I wake up every morning, the older I get, I'm thinking, whoa, something's happening. It's just, it, this thing is just not like it used to be. Hair where there shouldn't be hair. You know what I'm talking about. It's just it, pains where there shouldn't be pains, where there used to not be pains. And this body is giving out. I, I understand that. But you know something? I know something. I know that because Christ Jesus raised me from the dead, one day I'm going to have a new body. And there's going to be something beyond me right now. One more thing. 
about if Christ rose from the dead. And since I believe he did raise from the dead, this is what I believe. I believe if Christ rose from the dead, then that means new life is available for me today. That when I pray for people that need Christ, I am praying, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do whatever it takes to bring them to you? Because the Bible tells me this, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And, and, and you're saying, well, Mark, is it, is it that simple? Listen, I'm telling you, this is what God's Word teaches. And if He rose from the dead, then I know that life transformation is available for anybody today. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care if you've got a prodigal son or daughter, you're thinking they're never going to come back. Let me tell you, there is a God who loves them more than you do. And so I challenge you to know that if Jesus rose from the dead, then He has a plan and He can do it today. But here's, here's where I want to go for, for the, just the few minutes we have left. For you that are Texans in this, in this room, when we come to the Alamo, for you that are not Texans, you need to be. But uh, we all talk about the Alamo. And uh, here's the deal about the Alamo. And uh, is that William Travis, many of you know the story, 13 Days to Glory. William Travis takes out his saber, he draws a line in the sand. And he said, this is going to stop here. This is, this is the end. We either die altogether or, or you know, or, or that's going to be it. We draw the line in the sand. <clears throat> I think it's important as followers of Jesus Christ, there needs to be a line drawn in the sand because I really believe, I really believe according to God's word that one day everybody's going to stand before him. And do they have acknowledging of who he is? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, he said, if all of these claims that Jesus made are this way, he said, there's different responses. He said, either he was a lunatic, or he was a liar, or he was Lord. And so I want us to look at that, and I want to add one more just to you right quick. We're drawing a line in the sand, okay? One of four choices you have today. The first one we'll call is this, legend. Was he a legend? Maybe he didn't exist. Maybe he's like Hercules or like one of the fables that we made up. Maybe Jesus was just made up. Maybe he wasn't really true. We got stories, but who was there really when the Bible was written? I mean, maybe it was just all made up. It's false deities. It's false fables that came in, and this legend of Jesus all of a sudden came into being. This is what we're going to choose to believe is that he was a legend. He really didn't exist. Nobody had a photograph. Nobody has a picture of Jesus hanging on their wall, that this is what he looked like. I mean, you may have a, some rendering of, of an artist, but there's, there was nothing there. Well, you don't have one of Napoleon. You don't have one of George Washington. You don't have one of any of these old historical figures. But yet we believe, and why do we believe that they exist? Why do we believe George Washington existed? Well, we see his influence over everything. We see, we see that people in history have talked about him. Well, why is it not the same about Jesus? We see his influence over everything. You know what amazes me is most hospitals, most uh, taking care of, of um, children, orphans, these kind of things, you know where they've come from? They've come from the Christian faith because this is the things that Jesus taught and his influence has just come. I can tell you ultimately for me personally is my life was transformed by Jesus Christ. So I, 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 I know he wasn't a legend. So maybe number two is this. Maybe he was a crazy man. Maybe he was a lunatic. Maybe... Um, Maybe he just made some claims that were so outrageous that there is just no way you can buy into them. Only a crazy man would say something like that. It's almost like, you remember, okay, in the Scriptures, Jesus 
His, his family come to him. And they're going to take him away because they're thinking, he must be crazy. But you know something? He made some radical claims, but isn't it amazing that out of those radical claims that we see that his initial followers took that and he walked that out, they walked the love of God out. We see that Jesus was actually a man very much in his right mind, the way he showed compassion and love towards others, and that we have seen life transformation. Isn't it amazing that the power of his Holy Spirit, the number one thing he brings is peace and comfort? Wasn't a lunatic. Maybe he was a liar, okay? Maybe he was a liar. He just made up all these teachings. He, he grew up in a Jewish background. He just made up all these teachings. He's just a liar. He just said all these things so that people would jump on board with him, but he was really a liar, and that's what is going to happen. Oh, man. You know, we think about that, but I don't know too many people who are actually going to give their lives for a lie. I mean, there be some that will. They were radical to do that, but not that many and his initial followers, you know, those initial 12, Judas went and hung himself because he had betrayed the Lord. But the others eventually died horrendous deaths, and John was the last one, and he died exiled. And then we saw in the, new, the, the first century even people like Polycarp and others that gave their life for the sake. Would they give their, their lives away for the sake of a lie? How about people today that are still in places in this world that are, that are being told you deny your faith and they will not do it and their lives are taken away. Are they going to do that for a lie? I don't think so. So Jesus, was he legend? Was he a lunatic, crazy man? Was he a liar? That only leaves one other option, and it's this. He was Lord. His claims were true, that he was the Son of God, that he was the one that came into the world to take away, to not to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. There is no other. There is no name given among men by which we must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. The word Lord literally means owner. It's a Greek word, kurios, but it means owner. And he is the owner. You see, that's a lot different. And here's the deal. You ready for this? We read the Scriptures... The Scriptures, Jesus never said to anybody, I want you to ask me into your life. That's not what he did. You know what he did to people? He said this, follow me. Follow me. Now, I believe in a transformation time. I believe that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. I believe there's a born-again experience that you have. I believe that there's that radical transformation that happens. But let me tell you, it boils down to the simplicity of are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Or are you living your life as though, I just don't really know. Listen, we're drawing a line in the sand today. You cannot, if you believe he was a legend, okay, you hang on to that, but it sounds very foolish. Lunatic, liar. But if he is Lord, it's going to be some radical things in our lives that need to be adjusted because this is the foundation of who we are. It means that we will love with the love of Jesus. We'll have a compassion with the love of Jesus. We'll have a grace of the love of Jesus. These are the things that will, will be a part of our life. I want to I want to end with this because this is this is this is just a word picture. The Lord the Lord just seems to there are things I read and I just see things and I'm thinking you know this is just something the Lord uses and He speaks to my life because Pam and I have a prayer that we will be the real deal. And there's a reason we pray that prayer. We want to be the real deal for Christ. We don't want to be imposters. We don't want to be something that we're not. 
I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I was reading, and I read a couple of weeks ago, I read about a city um, that exists in North Korea, and it's called Kajongdong. It, it means peace village. But I read the background of this city, and some of you may know about it, but, but this, is, this, this kind of stuff, you know, I, I, general knowledge just sticks in my brain. These funny things stick in my brain. Math stuff could not, but this, this would stick. Kajongdong, okay, peace, peace village. What happened was, for just a little bit of history, because I think this is vital. You know, there's a North and South Korea. 1953, uh, in the mid-50s, they set up the demilitarized zone, which separated South and North Korea. And uh, North Korea and their communism and the South Korea, uh, South Korean government, they separated it by those uh, four kilometers or whatever that's called the demilitarized zone. Well, what the, what the North Koreans did in their communism, because they thought we can lure the people away from South Korea, they built a village, Kajongdong, right on the other side of the militarized zone so that people from South Korea could see it, okay? It's this village that's been built, multi-story buildings um, that are there, fields and this kind of stuff that's there. So that they were thinking if people from South Korea would look over there and see it, then they would want to defect and come into North Korea and that they would just do that and take them over. It was a propaganda. And the other thing they would do is they would blare from Kajongdong over the uh, speakers. They would blare out this propaganda that, that would try to intimidate people to come over to North Korea. Here's what they discovered about Peace Village. They discovered nobody lived there. They just built the city as propaganda so that it, 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 it symbolized something that didn't exist. And they just built it hoping that the people from South Korea would come over, but it's something that never existed. Nobody ever lived there. Every now and then they'd have street cleaners come through just so that people would think something's going on there, but nothing was going on there. It was just propaganda. It was false. Nothing existed. And when I read that, I thought, man, that's really corny. But then I thought, has my life ever been false propaganda for Jesus Christ? Have I ever made declarations that were hollow and unreal? You see, our world desperately needs to see Jesus. And if He is our life, and He is everything about us, then we need to desperately be loving people with the love of Jesus. See, this is foundational for us. I think, I think we get into buildings and we get into programs and we get into everything, and that's okay. I don't think the Lord has a problem with that. But if it ever comes in the way of us displaying the love of Jesus, let's get rid of it. Because this is what we're called to do. He is Lord. And listen, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It scares me that it will be too late for some. What about you? Let's pray.